0: Thank you. You can be seated this morning. Gosh, man, that was good. We have a lot of empty seats because they're all up here on the band, right? This is awesome. Sweet, man. Good playing. Oh, man, it's great to have you here at Grace Church. And uh, we welcome you and just are, are thankful that you have uh, just chosen to be here to worship with us and to, man, uh, just to be with us. This morning, we're going to continue our series through the book of Esther. So we're going to be in Esther chapter 2, starting in verse 19, and we're going to go all the way through chapter 3 today. And uh, man, God has just uh, has really been using this book to, to minister to me personally. I think He's been using this book to minister to a lot of you. And so far in Esther, we've seen that God uses broken, messed up people. I mean, one of the sayings here at Grace Church is, no perfect people allowed, okay? Okay. None of us are perfect. We're all dealing with different varieties of brokenness, different uh, varieties of sin. And uh, so you're in a good place. If you're feeling broken, you're feeling confused, you're feeling like you're just struggling, you are in a good place this morning because we're all um, dealing with our our flesh. We're dealing with sin. We're all trying to to figure out how to get through this uh, walk of life, right? And so we've chosen um, to follow God many of us here, and God is, is revealing Himself to us, and He does that through His Word. That's why we look to His Word for instruction, for teaching, and uh, He does that through His Word. We serve a God who speaks, okay? Man, there's a lot of false gods out there. There's a lot of gods that are worshipped, but none of them speak, none of them listen, none of them care. Um, <clears throat> we serve a God who speaks, and He speaks to us, He speaks to you. He speaks to me. So, so far in Esther, we've seen that God uses broken, messed up people. He uses us in spite of our flaws and our failures. God made us. He knows our hearts, our minds, our intentions. And regardless of all of that, he still allows us to play a part in building his kingdom here on earth. It's truly amazing. In spite of our brokenness, he still loves us. He still uses us. As we continue our study today through the book of Esther, I just want to be up front with you about my goal. You say, man, who is this guy? We know, What is this church about? Let me just Let me just be forthright with you about my intentions, about my goal. My goal, my intention is to lead you to life change, to lead you to a place where you are actually different, where you are closer to Jesus Christ. Because if you come here week after week, and you continually leave here unchanged, you, you continually leave here unchallenged, something's amiss. Something's wrong. My job, my intention, my goal is to lead you closer to Jesus Christ. That's, that's my intention. I'm trying to be forthright. That's my desire. That's my goal. Pastor Bill Hybel says the truest definition of the word leadership is to take someone from here to there. Okay, that's the truest definition of the word leadership. So my goal as your pastor is to lead you from right where you're at, right where you're at, to a place that is closer to Jesus Christ. To take you from here to there. And hopefully you can see yourself. As we study through the book of Esther, hopefully you can see yourself in these stories and and you can make the necessary changes in your life through the power of Christ, to be more like Jesus Christ. So uh, so let's open the Bible this morning to Esther chapter 2. We're going to begin reading in verse 19. And uh, if you don't have your Bible, um, you can see the verses up on the screen. You can follow along with us. So Esther chapter 2, beginning in verse 19, it says, Now when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Okay, we've been... Looking at Xerxes' kingdom, we've been uh, looking at at all the wealth and, and man, just the uh, uh, enormous amount of uh, money that was in this kingdom, so much so that he had couches that were made out of gold, you know, in his palace. And uh, when he talks about the king's gate, this is the business district. This is where all the business took place, and uh, it's called the king's gate. Esther had not made known her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her. For Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. So Esther continues to keep the fact that she is a follower of God a secret. The fact that she's a Jew, she's keeping that a secret. She's an orphan and her adopted father, Mordecai, commanded her to keep silent about being a Jew, about being a follower of God. So let me just start out this morning by asking, those of you that follow Jesus Christ that say, Jesus is my God, is that you? Like you say, Jesus is your God, but uh, you keep Jesus a secret. You don't want anybody to know. Is that you? Do you know people that are like that? I mean, do you, does anyone know that you are a follower of God? That you love Jesus? Do people know that you love God? You know, I, I would say we we've got to use wisdom right when it comes to sharing our faith. I mean, some people, to be honest with you, some people have no business sharing their faith because their lifestyle, their actions um, speak completely the opposite, right? I mean, you couldn't tell that they were a Christ follower by looking at their lives. And it would probably be better if they didn't say anything. Um, In high school, I worked at Lori's Family Dining. Okay, I grew up here in Durango. How many of you know where Lori's Family Dining is? If you're raising your hand, you've been... uh, uh, the, the old location on Main Street, not the one that was in the mall for a little while. Okay, If you raised your hand, uh, you've been here too long in Durango. <laughs> but I actually worked at Lori's family dining in high school as a bus boy. And uh, uh, they hired a new kid to come in and to, to bus tables with us. And I say with us, I worked with one of my best friends growing up, Jeremy. He and I were busing tables and they hired a new kid. And this, this kid came in, and he was very outspoken about his faith. The problem was, is he was trying to convert everyone during the lunch rush, right? <laughs> he was trying to convert people when he should have been working. And uh, he was one of the worst employees I have ever seen in my life. And it was so bad, I, I finally had to confront him. And I told him, man, you got to stop. Like, it's awesome that you love Jesus. That's great. But you got to stop trying to convert everybody on your, you know, especially during the lunch rush when it's really busy. We're supposed to be working hard. Um, You need to stop because you're hurting the cause of Christ, right? His words were not matching up with his actions. And, uh, you know, I had to tell him, like, gosh, nobody's been converted because they all hate you, you know? (laughs) They all think you're the worst employee, man. You got to knock this off. So we need to use wisdom when it comes to communicating our faith. Man, I encourage you to, to do your best to make sure your actions are matching up with your words. We need to use wisdom when it comes to communicating our faith with others, but I would say if nobody knows, like no one knows that you're a follower of Jesus, that's a problem. Um, we can't bottle it up and we can't keep it to ourselves. You know, I think in our society, there's a lot of people who think faith is a private matter. You know, they're like, don't, don't talk to me about my faith. That's between me and God. And so I have to ask, is our faith a private matter? Should we keep silent about our faith? Is that something that's so personal? We, we shouldn't really push that on anybody. We shouldn't open up about it. We should keep it to ourselves. I would say no. There comes a time when we have to speak up. And, and listen, actions do speak louder than words, but words are important. There comes a time you have to speak up about your faith. Man, it it really boils down to your motivation. Like, what's going on in your heart? It, It really boils down to your intention. It boils down to the leading of the Holy Spirit, looking for those opportunities when God allows the opportunity to arise for you to share your faith. Man, your motivation, your heart intention, the leading of the Holy Spirit, they all play critical roles when it comes to sharing your faith. But sadly... Many of us who call Jesus Lord, we lack an urgency for eternity. And church, I I think sometimes I just have to remind us, there is a real heaven and there is a real hell. And there is eternity. And sometimes we lack that urgency. We get so focused in life and the mundane things, we lack an urgency for eternity. Man, are you praying for your friends and your family and your coworkers? Are you trying to live like Christ in front of them? Are you trying to just love them towards Jesus Christ? Like Esther, many of us are afraid to to be identified with Jesus Christ. And before I sound like, man, he's up there and he's just kind of speaking down on us, I struggle with this too, church, okay? Man, one of the the hardest things for me when I'm out, um, maybe, you know, at a friend's house or hanging out with friends, One of the hardest things for me, one of the hardest questions to answer is when people say, what do you do for a living? I'm like, ah, man, what do I say to that? Because most of the time if I say I'm a pastor, the conversation is over because for whatever reason, man, they think pastors are just weird or like perfect or whatever. Their views are messed up. Pastors, we're normal. We're probably more messed up than you are. Okay, But... That question has been so hard for me to answer, but I had to come to a point in my life where it's like, you know what, I'm a pastor, and I'm proud of it. I pastor an awesome church. I get to work with amazing people. I get to like help people change their eternity. Like, it's an amazing job. It's an amazing experience. And I had to get to this place where I would really open up about it. But I'm, I'm trying to say, church, I understand. There's, there's a difficulty sometimes opening up about your faith and taking that step of faith to say, I'm a follower of Jesus. You need to know Him. Like it's, it's tough. It's difficult sometimes. Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33, Jesus has some hard words for us. And once again, I think hard words make soft hearts. Okay. Jesus says, Everyone who acknowledges Me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before My Father in heaven. But everyone who denies Me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. It's like, man, that's a gut puncher right there. So church, I, I am challenging you. I am pushing you to say, gosh, if nobody knows that you're a Christian, that's a problem. Man, let's step up our game, right? Let's step up and say, you know what, let's let's proclaim Christ and let's do it in a way that's respectful. Let's do it in a way that people will, will receive it. Um, uh, man, let's do it out of love. So Esther won the Persian beauty pageant. She's now the queen of the largest empire in the world. And so you would think, man, she's got, she's got it all, right? At her fingertips. It's smooth sailing from here, right? Not even close. Not hardly. Not even in biblical, biblical times did they live happily ever after. So while most people in the kingdom were pleased with how things were going, a conspiracy was growing in the minds of two men. So let's keep reading in verse 21. In those days, when everyone seemed satisfied and fulfilled, and like everyone thought the kingdom was running so good, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs—remember, a, a eunuch is a man that has been castrated. Okay, you don't want to be a eunuch. They guarded the threshold. So these are these are the king's trusted men. They're actually guarding the doors of his bedroom. They became angry and sought to lay hands on King Xerxes. So these two men are conspiring to assassinate the king. And you may ask, like, it doesn't say, you know, it doesn't say, but you may ask, what did these two guys have against Xerxes? Like, why did they want to kill him? And my best opinion, my best judgment would say, these men were castrated under the orders of Xerxes. I would want to kill him too, okay? (laughs) Okay. So verse 22, and this came to the knowledge of Mordecai and he told it to Queen Esther and Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai when the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. So these two guys were found guilty for the conspiracy to kill the king and they were put to death, put to death. And let me just say, the gallows that this is referring to is not like the gallows that you would see on a western. Uh, Most likely, these men were impaled on a a pole or on a stake, kind of like a crucifixion. Um, It was a common type of execution in the Persian Empire. And uh, Darius, if you remember Darius, he was Xerxes' dad. Darius, Xerxes' father, was known to have once impaled 3,000 men according to to John Walford's uh, Bible knowledge commentary. Okay, so it was a common practice, man. If you went against the king, you would die. The Persians invented the method of crucifixion. The Romans perfected it. So the closest, the closest two guys to the king, the ones that were guarding his bedroom, were the ones who betrayed him. The ones that were closest to him were the ones that betrayed him. And so it is in our day in business, in government, in ministry, betrayal usually comes from the inside. So this morning I have three lessons. I want to give us three leadership lessons. Uh, Leadership lesson number one is be careful who you trust. Be careful who you trust. Trust is so fragile. Trust is at the core of leadership. And this can, be, man, this can be such a double-edged sword for leaders because you cannot be an effective leader without giving trust away. But some of the most painful experiences come when people betray your trust. So don't be quick to give away your, your trust. Don't be quick to just trust everyone. You know, we've seen even in recent events, it's important to know who your co-pilot is, right? It's really important to know who your co-pilot is. It's a very important trust. Who who are you working alongside? And I would also say to those of us that have broken trust, repent. Repent and, and change your course and begin rebuilding that trust as quickly as you can. And I would also ask those of us that are serving in a supportive role, Maybe it's to a boss, maybe it's to a pastor, maybe it's to a leader of of, of some sort. I just would ask you to ask yourself, what's your motivation to serve? Are you truly serving or are you looking to take the position of the one you serve? Are your motivations pure or are you uh, attempting to deceive those you serve under? What's your motivation? Why are you doing What you're doing, it's so important that we have that nailed down in our hearts. Is your heart pure in your service? So Mordecai, he foils the assassination attempt. And then the story takes a very strange turn of events. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. So Mordecai just saved the king. And then in verse 1 it says, After these things, King Xerxes promoted Haman, the Agite, the son of Hamadatha." And advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. Like, are you, are you kidding me? Like, wait a minute, hold on, just a second. I don't know if I read this right. Didn't Mordecai just save his life? Didn't he just save the life of King Xerxes? So why didn't he get promoted? Why, who's this Haman guy? Like, where did he come from? All of a sudden, he gets promoted. Isn't that the way life goes sometimes? Like. Life can be so painful. Life can be so confusing and unfair. Sometimes life just doesn't make sense. Like maybe you're thinking that right now. Like, why haven't I gotten promoted? I mean, I work harder than anyone else and they always use my ideas. I mean, everything the boss asks me to do, I do it as hard as I can. How come I'm not being promoted? Sometimes life doesn't make sense. Any sense. Sometimes life isn't fair. So the evil Haman is promoted and he's given authority. Proverbs 29 2 says, When the godly are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked are in power, they groan. You wonder how the country's doing? Just listen for the groaning, okay? And that'll tell you where we're at. Look at verse 2 of Esther chapter 3. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate, bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. This is a critical moment in this book of Esther. Okay, Mordecai makes a critical decision here. He makes the decision, I'm not bowing down. I'm not bowing down to this Haman guy. This is great, church. All of a sudden we see a little righteous anger being stirred up within Mordecai. And before, remember, before we saw him, he was just uh, going with the flow. He was passive. He was not standing up to injustice when he should have. But now Mordecai grows a spine, right? As a Jew, okay, he was a Jew, as a Jew bowing down to any person or thing on this earth other than God was considered idolatry. The Torah, okay, the, the first part of the old testament clearly stated you shall have no other gods before me and so mordecai he can't take it anymore he's finally getting to a point where he says you know enough is enough it's time for him to do the right thing and gang let me say whatever mistakes you've made or how awful your leadership may have been in the past it's never too late to change It's never too late. We see a great change take place in this moment with Mordecai. Because I think there's a lot of guys in this room who have made mistakes in the past, and they are just living under the bondage of the past, of those mistakes. There's a lot of people who think, once a coward, always a coward. It's not true. It's not true. You can change, and right now you can change. You can start creating a new legacy a new heritage, you can begin right now blazing a new path. Don't let your past define your future. This is a critical moment for Mordecai, a critical moment for the nation of Israel. And this shows us the difference that one life can make. We're going to talk a lot about this uh, next Sunday, on Easter Sunday, the importance of one life, the difference one person can make. One person standing against evil and injustice can change a nation. Like this is a Rosa Parks moment, right? This is a Nelson Mandela moment. This is a Paul Revere moment right here. A moment where someone finally says, enough. Enough is enough. I can't take the injustice anymore. I can't stand it. So I'm going to stand against it. Verse 3. It's okay if you guys want to say amen too, just to help me out. Gosh, that that would that would I would appreciate it. Um, then the king's servants, who were at the king's gate, said to Mordecai, "Why do you transgress the king's command? I mean, they're like, are you nuts, Mordecai? You're going to end up like Bigtha, you know, hanging on a pole." And when they spoke to him day after day, and he would not listen to them. Okay, this wasn't a one-time. Standing up to injustice. And then he went back into his old ways. Day after day now, Mordecai was making the right decisions. He was standing up to injustice. Faith and courage has come into the life of Mordecai. This is good. This is inspiring. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. Okay? Pride. Why is he not bowing down? But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews of um, the people of Mordecai throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. I don't know about you, but doesn't that seem a little bit excessive? Okay, one guy won't bow down to Haman, so Haman now wants to slaughter an entire people group. I don't know. That, that seems way over the line. So, this leads me to leadership lesson number two, okay? Don't let the wrong people lead. Oh, man. It's easy, listen, it's easy to hand out leadership titles, it's extremely difficult to get those titles back. So, I would venture to say that the church as a whole has been awful at this. I'm picking on us as a church, the church as a whole. Because I think many times churches hand out leadership roles like candy. There's no time of proving. There's no trust building. There's no training. We just have so many holes that need to be plugged so we just start throwing people at them, right? How in the world did Haman get into this position of leadership? I don't know. It doesn't say. But I know one thing. He was the wrong guy. He was the wrong guy for the job so that's my encouragement this morning churches don't let the wrong people lead so what is what does haman have against the jews if we go back to verse one of chapter three we see a little uh, genealogy that's given it says xerxes promoted haman son of hamadatha the Agite. okay so that's a little genealogy telling where haman came from and Tucked away in the book of 1 Samuel is the story about King Saul who was told by the prophet Samuel to go and to kill all the Amalekites. I don't know if you remember this story, but the Amalekites were the lifelong enemy of the Jews. And Saul was instructed to kill all the Amalekites along with all of their animals. But Saul decided to do his own thing. He spared the best of the enemy's sheep and he also spared the king agag the agites okay the agites got their name from this king that that saul was supposed to kill this is an excellent reminder to us that when god tells you to do something do it okay do it even if it doesn't make sense because god always has a reason ever since these enemies of the Jews, they passed this story from generation to generation, breeding hatred for the Jews. So Haman, being an Agite, hated the Jews since he was a kid. He hated them. So that's why when he found out when Mordecai was a Jew, he no longer just wanted to kill Mordecai, he wanted to kill his people as well. And this is a good time to remind us that no one is born hating another race. It's something we learn. Hate is passed from generation to generation. And hatred that's left undealt with in your heart, it's going to grow into the worst kind of evils. It wasn't the first time God's people had been targeted for genocide, and it wasn't going to be the last attempt at Holocaust. Holocaust. Now before we get too religious and, and we and we kind of look down on Haman, and we think, "Ah, oh, man, I'm I'm glad I'm not like him. I'm so much better." <laughs> let me just let me ask you a question: Who are you harboring a grudge against? What what people group do you just blanket with foolish statements? Who are you harboring a grudge against? Is it it a former spouse? Is it a former pastor? A church that offended you? Man, there's just hatred for that church. A boss? How about that coach that didn't give you the starting position? Someone you trusted who abused that trust? Church, oh man. Allowing anger to survive in your heart, it's going to turn into rage And it's going to lead you to do things you will regret. You have to deal with that anger. Maybe you've been taught to hate people because of the color of their skin. It's pure evil. It's pure evil. And the only way to overcome the inner problem we all have with evil, the only way to walk in victory is through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Were it not for the Holy Spirit in my life, my grudges, my lack of forgiveness could grow into thoughts that would shock you. And I know your thoughts would shock me. So, let's deal with the hatred, church. Haman had no power from the living God to help him get rid of the hatred To help him get rid of the prejudice. To help him live above the powerful grip of revenge. Remember the verse that says, Revenge is mine, saith the Lord. It's not our job to pay people back for the evil that we think they did. That's God's job. He's the judge. Verse 7. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, that's April, In the twelfth year of King Xerxes, they cast per, that is, they cast lots. They're doing business, they're making decisions in this kingdom by the roll of a dice, okay? Minions, I tell you. Before Haman, day after day, they're making decisions with the dice. And they cast it month after month till the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, which is March. Then Haman said to King Xerxes, There is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws, so that uh, it is not the king's profit to tolerate them. So Haman is formulating a plan to destroy people, and he's, and he's doing it because of their religious beliefs. That's, that's how he's selling it to the king, King Xerxes. Verse 9, if it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed, and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver, that's 375 tons of silver, into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, that they may put it into the king's treasuries. So the king took his signet ring from his hand, and he gave it to Haman the Agite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. So in this day, that would be basically handing him the keys to the kingdom. And the king said to Haman, The money is given to you, the people also, to do with them as seems good to you. Xerxes approves the plan for genocide. All right, so this leads us to leadership lesson number three, if you're still awake. Someone will always resent your faith. When you stand up and you do the right thing and you're doing it out of the right motivation, the right heart, someone is going to resent your faith. Xerxes approved the plan for genocide because the Jews were different. Their faith was different. And this powerful man was intimidated by the people of God because of their faith in God. Xerxes knew he couldn't control these people. He couldn't ultimately control these people, so he decided to wipe them out. You know, you've, I don't know. You've probably heard the recent story in the news about Navy chaplain Wes Motter. He's a he's a highly decorated, 19-year military veteran. Um, he previously served in the Marine Corps and, and he was once the force chaplain of the Navy SEALs. The highly praised chaplain could possibly lose his job because he expressed his his faith-based views on marriage and homosexuality in private counseling sessions. This highly decorated chaplain is in danger of losing his job because he chose to follow his faith. Some people will resent you because of your faith. Because you're not afraid to stand up for what you believe in. Even when you do it in the right way, in humility and out of love and respect, you just say, hey, that's not right because God says it's not right. People are going to hate you for it. Because you're different. Verse 12. Then the king's scribes were summoned on the thirteenth day of the first month, and an edict according to all that Haman commanded was written to the king's uh, satraps, that's his rulers, and to the governors over all the provinces and to the officials of all the peoples, to every province in its own script, to every people in its own language. It was written in the name of King Xerxes and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instruction to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. That's March of the next year. So they have one year and to plunder their goods. So they're not only going to kill them, but they take all of their goods. The plan to annihilate the Jews was rolling full steam ahead verses 14 and 15. A copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province by proclamation to all the peoples to be ready for that day. The couriers went out hurriedly by the order of the king and the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. I don't know. Can you imagine the horror knowing that an order has been given by the king to kill you, your wife, and your children? This is... And then you have to live with that fear for a whole year. And the king and Haman, let's read this. And the king and Haman sat down to what? What did they sit down to do, church? That, that, that makes me sick. The king and Haman sat down to drink. Not that it's wrong to drink. You know, it's what a lot of people do when they close a deal or they make a big business transaction. They celebrate with a toast. Cheers. Can you see the pride in Xerxes? Can you see the pride in Haman? Like, cheers. We're the most powerful people on the planet. We can wipe out a whole people group by just with our signature. We're untouchable, man. We're amazing. Cheers. The greatest abuse of power is when you use your power to destroy people. Gosh, I was having that conversation with my boys. You know, they love superheroes. but It's like, man, superheroes, right? Let's pretend, church. Don't tell them. But, you know, they use their powers for good. Right? If God puts you in a position of leadership where you are leading people, gosh, you better do your best to do it for God's glory, and for people's good. Xerxes is doing exactly the opposite. So they're toasting, and who knows what they're toasting to. I mean, maybe it's like, to our wives and our girlfriends, may they never meet. You know, like, who knows what they were saying. <laughs> but we see a glimpse, like, we see a glimpse into the ivory tower of Xerxes. But now, kind of travel with me, okay? You're, you're looking into the ivory tower but kind of pan down now to the streets. And it's a completely different scene. Isn't that the way it kind of works? Usually, gosh, way up here, it's like we're toasting and we're drinking and life is good, and then you pan down to where life really happens and it's a completely different scene. Read on with me, it says, but the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. It's chaos on the streets but they're toasting in the ivory tower. Confusion on the streets. Confusion. Like, what in the world is going on? Have you ever felt that way? Gosh, laws, they they don't make any sense. Religions, they don't make any sense. Pastors make no sense. Life doesn't make any sense. It's just utter confusion. What in the world is going on? 1 Corinthians 14.33 says that God is not the author of confusion. So who is? Satan. Satan loves chaos. Satan wants to destroy your marriage. He loves conflict and arguments and disappointments. He loves hurt feelings. He loves death. And all these things have come to be because of sin. Let Let me just... Share with you, God created the world and He created it perfect and sinless. But as humans, we chose to rebel against God. And because of that rebellion, death came and confusion reigns and it seems like Satan's winning. And at this point in Esther, it looks like wickedness is going to win. Like we are left, the the city's in confusion. We're left in a place of despair at the end of chapter 3. And you know, so it is in our world. It looks like death always wins. The wicked always seem to be toasting. And there doesn't seem to be any way out of the mess. It's just utter confusion. We're bound. We're enslaved by our own wickedness. Church, it's, it's for this very reason that God got off His throne, unlike Xerxes, and He invaded our mess in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. And we cannot save ourselves, but Jesus can. He opened the door to salvation, to forgiveness, to true freedom. And on the cross, Jesus willingly took the nails in His hands and His feet. Jesus willingly hung and died there. So whoever would believe in Him would never perish in their own sin and wickedness. The blood of Jesus, it's like an internal detergent. You know, it's washing away the sin, the filthy sin. You cannot, cannot conquer your own wickedness, your own sin. So my encouragement to you is to humble yourself. Seek forgiveness. Turn to Jesus in faith And allow Him to change you. Allow Him to mold you, to shape you. God's grace is enough. God meets you right where you are. Right where you are in this moment. That's where God meets you. Man, we're no better. Because of our sin and wickedness, we need God's great grace to wash away the evil within us. And you may think, gosh, I know some people think, I'm not... You know, you start comparing yourself to Haman. I'm not wicked like Haman. I'm not evil like Xerxes. I don't need to be saved. My life's good, man. My life's good. What do I need to be saved from? The Scripture says if you've broken one command, you've broken them all. And you're just as wicked. Have you lied? Ah, dang. Yeah. Just like before I got to church. Have you looked at a woman with lust? Ah, yeah, actually, while you were preaching. Um, Have you cheated? Coveted? Come on, we're we're all guilty. That's, That's what the Bible, the Bible makes it clear. We're all guilty of sin, and we all need to be rescued from its death grip. It seems hopeless right now in the book of Esther, but God is at work in the background, just like He's working right now in your life. God is all about transformation. He's all about saving the lost. Life transformation. It's what Grace Church is all about. It's what Christ is all about. And it's going from wickedness to righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. Hatred causes chaos, and fear is always the result. Hatred and fear... You know, it's the embodiment of wickedness. Church, there is hope beyond hatred and fear. That's no way to live your life. Hating, always fearful, not knowing what the future holds. But I know who holds the future, man. That's a place of peace. That's a place of comfort. That's a place, of, gosh, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, man, it brings peace. It brings peace. And it takes the hate away to where, man, we can embrace people of other colors, right? And we can be unified around the cause of Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite the band up this morning. Um, And uh, they're going to come up and they're going to play an instrumental, actually. They're going to play a song this morning. And as they come up, here's, here's what I would ask of you. I just want us to sit and I want us to reflect and I'm going to ask you to pray. And you might be here this morning, and you're like, man, I've never prayed a day in my life. Well, <clears throat> you could just be the one that just answers these questions then, okay? It's good to think about your life, think about where you're at. I wanted to just give you an opportunity, give you a time to kind of meditate, to reflect. But ask yourself these questions. Why am I so confused? Like, what, what's, why am I so confused? Am I fully surrendered to the author of peace, Jesus Christ? And if not, why not? My dad, when he would preach, he would always say, what are you going to do with Jesus? That was one of his sayings, man. What are you going to do with Jesus? And that's something that we all have to come to a conclusion. What are you going to do with Jesus? You you either love Him and serve Him or you don't. And and I would say if you don't and your life isn't surrendered to Him, I think it's important for you to... Why not? Why not? Maybe you could ask yourself this question. Who am I holding a grudge against? Ah, man, this person. Every time I think of him, I just... I want to punch something, you know? Who are you holding a grudge against? Who do you need to go to and ask forgiveness you need to go to that person and say gosh i was wrong and let me just i'm stepping on toes right now but let me just say with all those questions you might add some more of your own but i want to ask you to commit to do something today commit to do something today not tomorrow today so when you walk out of this place it's like oh that was a good message cool pastor justin and then you forget about it right make a commitment today to say, I need to call my dad, man. We haven't talked in years. And I need to say, like, my dad's wrong, man. But I haven't forgiven him. I just need to call him and say, I love you, dad. I don't know why I love you, but it's just because of Jesus. How about that? Maybe you need to call a mom or an aunt or an uncle or a coworker, Whatever. Just commit to take action today. Because we don't want to mess around, play church, just leave here unchanged to be world changers. Man, let's go do something and make a difference. Let me pray. Father God, I pray that we wouldn't play games with you. And I pray we would be completely surrendered to who you are. And Father, I pray for those who are in that state of confusion right now. I just pray that you would make yourself known to them. And Father, that you would show them that you are good. And I pray that they would know you are the author of peace. And the scripture says it's the kindness of God that draws men to repentance. Gosh, I just pray each of us would fully surrender to you. And even in those moments where it seems like evil is going to win, help us to trust you. Help us to follow you, to do what you lead us to do. Thank you for your forgiveness, Father. Thank you for your grace. I I hate to think what I would be without it. Holy Spirit, I pray you would move in the hearts of men and women and children during this time of introspective reflection and prayer. I pray that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.